Hello, and welcome to Living With Your Dog. I'm Charlotte Peltz, Certified Animal Behavior Consultant. I would like you to be able to contact me with any questions you may have regarding particularly behavior issues, but I can address other things as well. One of my favorites is nutrition. So we're here to help you, and Nate will tell you how to get your questions to us. To get your questions to us, just email livingwithyourdog at gmail.com. That's livingwithyourdog at gmail.com. And also, you can find Living With Your Dog on Facebook. Living with your dog, living with your dog, living with your dog with Charlotte. Hi, welcome to Living With Your Dog. I'm Charlotte Peltz, Certified Dog Behavior Consultant. There's often a lot of talk about food, using food to train your dog. Oh, dear. Aren't you going to, you're, you're bribing them and don't, you know, they should do it because they love you and on and on and on. And this is by Kathy Callahan, who's a certified pet dog trainer, and it's in the whole dog journal. And this is what she has to say about food is your friend, she says. Get the most out of positive training by paying more attention to a key element, your reinforcers. Now, before we go on with that, there are two important points here positive training and reinforcers. This is not a bribe. A bribe is something that you offer before something happens. And a reinforcer is like salary for a job well done. So let's take it from there. So she says, take a moment to ponder a miracle. We can reach across the great species divide and convince a dog to do something utterly and unnatural, like walking slowly at our side with a weird thing around his neck. Even <laughs> more amazing is the fact that we can make this moment feel really great to the dog. How? By starting with the universal gateway, food. Food is a gift to cross-species communicators. It's fast, it's clear, it's happy. Use food to tell your puppy, yes, that's exactly what I mean. And pretty soon your puppy ends up having all sorts of positive feelings about you, about training, and finally about weird walking by your side thing. You're on your way to a very well-behaved dog who also happens to be a joyful best friend. And then in quotes, the next paragraph starts off with not food motivated. Folks will sometimes tell me they can't use treat-based positive reinforcement to train because their puppy isn't food motivated. I guess the the human what they've tried so far that's when i get a blank stare i mm. prompt i prompt fresh chicken cheddar cheese dried fish vienna sausages <laughs> oh wait they say as the realization kicks in i can give them that stuff <laughs> fantastic we don't have a training challenge we've only just begun the key tool in a positive reinforcement training arsenal is the reinforcer you need to put thought and effort into it. You know that one brand of shelf staple chicken treats that you've been buying at the pet store since day one, that's not going to do the trick when you're out on a walk and your pup hears the siren song of another dog across the street. The treat hierarchy ladder. To set yourself up for a lifetime of focus from your dog, you need to create a pattern of being in the best game in town. It's easy to earn that designation with a piece of kibble when you're in the boring old family room asking for a sit. And this is where she and I get a don't quite agree on kibble, period. <laughs> kibble, right. Yeah. And, and she does 
obviously feed kibble. So we're not we're not pushing kibble, but it's in this this program. But as you progress to more difficult tasks and more distracting environments, you'll have to work your way up that I think of as the treat hierarchy ladder. Discussing discovering your dog's treat hierarchy will take a bit of investigation. Your dog will be all in for this key step in training journey. The point is that all dogs are not the same and some have strong preferences. I knew a dog who loved chicken but couldn't care less for turkey. Knowing exactly what makes your dog's knees go weak with glee comes in very <laughs> handy as you train, plus it's cute. Just to get you started, here's what's on my own pack's ladder these days, roughly in order from lowest to highest. Their own daily kibble, some other dog's kibble. Again, I'm not <laughs> doing kibble, no matter whose dog it is. Most store-bought training treats, I caution those, be sure you read the labels. Cheddar cheese, cut up sweet potato, microwaved and dried a bit. Bits of apple, red pepper, sugar snap peas and kale. Even better if they've watched me cut it up and know it was part of my own salad. Seriously. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Feta cheese, hot dogs, freeze-dried liver, fresh chicken breast, canned cat food, dried fish. A policy of using the lowest rung item you can get away with allows you to bring out the big hurrah when you really want to make an impact. I save dried fish for when I call the dogs in from barking at the foxes who are just beyond our fence. They zoom back, even with those rude interlopers out there, taunting them. But if I used dry fish for daily training, soon I would not have the dried fish tool to combat the fox situation. Whatever's top rung on your dog's ladder should not be used for everyday training and don't expect the lowest rung to allow you to compete with, say, a running deer. Mind you, form matters. You obviously don't want to take a can of cat food with you on a walk, but it's a perfect high-packed impact reward for a dog who's being calm around the new kitty in the kitchen. When you know you'll need a handful of reinforcers that are easy to deliver quickly and precisely in a challenging environment like a busy walk, i.e. not sticky or falling apart. The store-bought treats may be best. Sometimes soft works better than crunchy because needing to chew something can slow down the rhythm of your training. Bottom line, be ready to put in some time experimenting and have a training bag with sections for different items. Oh, you're worried that using human food will teach the pup to beg? Hmm. Don't tell your pup it's human food. <laughs> If you feed pup a milk bone, and I'll talk about milk bones in a minute, oh, yeah. off your plate at the dinner table, you'll be teaching him to beg. Begging is situational. Mm. And when I think about milk bones, it was the only treat of choice for years and years. And I remember mm. buying them and giving them to dogs. Not very long ago, I picked up a package to look at, and the first ingredient, wheat. <laughs> so I think we're not going to be talking about milk bones. Okay. Novelty may be your dog's favorite food. She says, one of my clients reported that her dog was no longer interested in training. I asked her what she was using as a reinforcer. Fresh boiled chicken. Hmm. That's a good start. And she said, I always use that. Aha. Mm -hmm. Aha. Just because it was the most incredible taste sensation last Friday does not mean it will have the same appeal next Tuesday. While some dogs do have always and forever favorites, others are more thrilled by novelty. 
If you sense a lack of interest, remember to keep changing things up. But won't it mess up their diet? People worry that using food to train will interfere with a solid diet and cause the dreaded intestinal dismay. Of course, that can happen if you aren't careful, but normally it's not an issue at all for three reasons. One, use teeny tiny pieces. I mean, minuscule, basically a width plus a bit that touches the tongue. We're not feeding our dogs here. We are creating a happy thought for them. Just a moment's experience of that feta cheese. Wait, what was that? Is enough for your pup to be all in with training. Pea size is a good rule. So think about it. If you reward your dog two dozen times in a five-minute session, that's about two tablespoons. Two, watch the poop. Every now and then, a dog will have an unwelcome response to a particular item. Just remove that treat from the ladder. In the meantime, use sweet potato bits and bites and boiled chicken to train with, since that's one of the things that that will tell you to feed a dog with the runs. Three, do the shuffle. If I'm doing a whole lot of training with one particular dog, I will use half of her normal kibble. There we are with kibble again. And the other half with yummies. The dog doesn't know which treat she'll get at any point in training, but is willing to eagerly play the lottery because something's in her, in it. It's in her favorite. So I, I, while I wouldn't use kibble for anything, um, you certainly can find something that is the less exciting in the way of, of treats for your dogs. And I will go this far. Sometimes when it's very hot and humid and you're, even if you've tried to dry things out, one possibility is cat food kibble. It's much higher in meat than dog food kibble. It's not going to be much mushy in your pocket. And it's a possibility. I particularly aim in the direction of Zeewee, which is an Australian 97% lamb, very dry, tiny treats. They're like a quarter inch square and they hold up well with, with heat and moisture and in my pocket. So those are some possibilities. Okay. Isn't this just bribing the dog? Sometimes, often right before they get addicted to positive training, owners question this emphasis on food. They feel like they're bribing their dogs. They have a sense that the dog, their dog should just want to listen to them and obey. <laughs> they ask about the old-fashioned methods where treats are not used. You know what's used in those methods? Fear. If you don't do what I ask, you'll experience something bad. Is it just me or is that approach the approach that should be raising, should be raising questions in our owner's minds? There is no in-between. There's no mind meld training where you can use neither a stick nor a carrot. No method where this member of another species automatically wants to do weird things like shake at exactly the time you want him to. It's a carrot or a stick. I have no qualms with using carrots and plenty of them. Yes, I scale back to an intermittent reward schedule. And that's, she doesn't say this, but it, when you get to about the 85 percentile bracket of success in a given environment, then you're going to not be giving the food treats, but you're going to be saying good girl and you're going to give a pat and a scratch and a belly rub and go for a walk. Okay, so I have no qualms about using carrots and plenty of them. She says, yes, I scale back to an intermittent reward schedule. My dogs generally do as I ask and half the time get only a kind word and a nice butt scratch as a reinforcer. Gosh, why wouldn't I want to make it extra fun for them to spend time with me training? Why wouldn't I be grateful for a little thing I can do to make us both enjoy training equally, my pups 
enjoying the treats and me enjoying the progress. Go for it, Kathy. Go for it. <laughs> I think that's very good. Yeah. So it, it should help people that get concerned about using food. You know, it's, I say dogs think with their stomachs. Why not take advantage of it? Some of these were legitimate concerns like the bribing yeah. or, or the affecting your dog's diet because, you know, that's one of the things that we focus on uh, quite a lot is the importance of the diet. And so, yes, if you're training a lot and giving a lot of treats, I can see that is, is affecting the diet. Maybe the dog's not as hungry at the end of the day or something, but is well, that a bad thing? No, it's, it's not a bad thing. And again, if you've got a chihuahua, you're going to have to be extremely careful because they're all in all in all intake during the course of a day is really minimal compared to a Labrador. And right. Labradors are inclined to gain weight walking through the kitchen. So <laughs> you have to be careful with them. But as she said, if you know, if you've got these tiny pea or and I'd say sometimes half a pea size, and you've been you've done a couple of dozen of them, you've only had two tablespoons of food. You know, you can cut back on their regular food. And one of the things that makes treats tasty is they're usually high in fat which means there are calories definitely to be considered that right. they make some tastier and it makes it work. So yes, you may have to be careful. And certainly if you have a, a dog with, with a very sensitive digestive system, you may have to be very careful. Like the, the Ziwi um, lamb treats, it's 70, 97% lamb. And there's really enough. I don't know how much, I don't think there's any, you know, I mean, these are very dry. I don't think we're talking a lot of that. So there are options out there. I'm careful. This this is something that I buy and order online. I don't think you're going to find these treats in your local store. Certainly not in the market. But you, one has to be careful and really, really read the labels. I think I've mentioned before that at one time, a market close to where I was living had a advertised a special for dried duck treats, and I hmm. thought that would be really cool. You know, I, I had never given Angie that. And I went in and looked at them and I, I very carefully read the label and in the finest print that I could barely read with my glasses on way at the bottom of the page was made in China and I oh. did not buy it. I did not buy it. Mm -hmm. I don't buy anything that comes from China because there have been too many reports of very serious, even dying serious um, results from treats that have and things that have food that has come from china so just not taking a chance until they get their act together not gonna not gonna use my dog as a, <laughs> a guinea pig for my dog or a dog for guinea pig i don't know what that means <laughs> <laughs> but we do kind of have to treat our dog like a guinea pig in order to find the in order to establish our hierarchy of treats yes and that's why it's worth it to do some investigating so that you know, tried and true are turkey franks, which are not high in fat. And when I've used those, when I've done a lot of training, because they have salt, dogs like salt, uh, and there is certainly some fat, but I would, I would slice them very thinly and put them in the microwave on a on dinner plate. So whatever moisture and fat was in there would be dried out. And then I could put them in my, my bait bag. But in, is it a very good idea to have samples? I, I, I call it a you know, doggy training trail mix. So mm -hmm. that, you know, it's, it's um, a high level reward surprise. And they want to figure out what they have to do to get that again, rather than the same thing over and over and over, which 
I'm not sure I want to work for that anymore today. So it's there are there are good ways to approach it. Bribery gets not because bribery comes before something is done. This comes after the dog has done it. That makes perfect sense. Yes. Um, and, and but again, that's a, and that, that squashes pretty much the the worry of I'm bribing my dog. So then even with these little teeny tiny bits that we're giving our dogs of different treats and they may like one more than the other, that essentially means that they have pretty strong taste buds. Absolutely. They, they taste sugar, salt, and fat and cats don't. Um, I think it's sugar that cats don't have taste buds for, but dogs do. And, uh, and so that's one of the reasons why kibble works so well. It's high in carbohydrates, translation sugar. Right. But I'm saying, I mean, even with a little bit, well, I guess if I had a little teeny bit of something that I really liked, I'd want another teeny little bit and Mm -hmm. another teeny little bit. Right. And again, it's important that the point that's made there is you don't want these to be big enough to be crunchy because dogs don't chew, but they will crunch down on something. And that takes time. You want this stuff to disappear quickly so that there isn't a lot of time spent between treats so that you can keep moving right along with the training plan. Okay. I got another couple of questions for you. How many, and it's a two-parter, how many of these different treats should I have in my hierarchy? And how do I find out how and which ones my dogs likes best? Well, first of all, let's do with the last one. How do you find out what they like best? You can take something that is kind of boring like if you do insist on feeding kibble you could have a piece of kibble in one hand in a closed fist and you could have a piece of an alternated chicken or turkey or cheese or whatever in the other hand and you can open your hand and let them see it and then close your fist and see which hand they go to sniffing and Mm. pawing and licking okay And then be sure you switch hands because otherwise you're just going to teach them to go to a hand. Right. So switch hands. But for sure, you can get a preference. You could also try putting them down on the floor, a piece of cheese, a piece of turkey, a piece of something else, spaced a foot apart, holding them so they can see you putting them down and then let them go and see which one they always go to first. Okay. So that'll give you an opportunity. What was the other question? How many of these, uh, of the hierarchy of treats should I have? A a super good one, a middle good one, a not so good one? Um, This is interesting because in the past when I've trained, personally been training, I'll tell people, now be sure you bring along treats. And I learned to say, and then triple the amount you planned on bringing. (laughs) Because you really want to be giving a lot of them initially. So... If you're going to have a trail mix, it's probably a good idea to have a little belt with three pockets in it and have the lower ranking. If if cheese is your dog's favorite and you've got little bits of turkey mix in another one, you're going to want to surprise your dog. For example, let's say you're getting success with the dog sitting when you say sit, but this was a fast response. That's going to get the top quality thing. The dog was getting treats for sitting, but now what we want the dog to understand is only the fast sits are going to get really reinforced for that. 
So, cause we're going to build up to it. Initially it's any, any response to the sit, no matter how long it takes, because a lot of time dogs are just thinking about this. Do I understand what she wants? Do I remember what it means I'm supposed to do? Oh yeah. My butt goes down. So when we get to that point, if you keep treating and reinforcing slow responses, that's what you're stuck with. And we want to get fast responses so we can do instead of 10 minutes of of sit exercises, we can do 10 minutes of five different behavior exercises. And that makes it more exciting all the way around for you and for the dog, but not if you get stuck at one spot. Okay. So at least three to Uh put it simple and go through, give your dog a bunch of choices to find out which ones he or she likes best. Best. Uh-huh. That's, I and, think that's a yeah, workable. And then not only that, but it said, uh, let's see, this article by Kathy Callahan said that to switch them around often because your dog is, you want your dog to be thrilled. Your dogs are thrilled in the novelty. So every once in a while, you're going to, while you're training, you're going to want to switch up the hierarchy of treats. Absolutely. <clears throat> and as she said, you know, what worked on Saturday may not work on Tuesday. Right. Because of whatever is happening, if it's if you're doing it in the kitchen, as compared to just standing with your door open to go for a walk, and your dog is really excited, and you ask him to sit in, and she does, it's like, wow, okay, go for it. Oh, right. I get it. Okay. So if you're just hanging out in the kitchen, it's just another day, you're just hanging out in the kitchen and a piece of hot dog may not mean that much but when you're opening the door and the dog knows he's about to go out for a walk he gets excited he's going to be less likely to perform the sit behavior because he's excited so with the help of that high hierarchy treat they're going to be more inclined to sit before they get to go outside but i would object to if it if the dog doesn't find the the piece of uh, hot dog satisfying in the kitchen. I don't think she's going to find it satisfying when there's excitement. So right, and that's why we got to find out which treats our dogs yeah, like best. Yeah. So it might may be that um, pieces of hot dog work just fine in the kitchen, but it better be a piece of steak at the door when they. <laughs> right. Okay. <laughs> okay. And that's. I mean, again, that's that's homework for us. Sure. Homework for us. Get to know our dogs. Get to know what they like that's best. What, get to know your dog. Absolutely. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, how about from Dr. Judy's Friday 5, July 16th, Manuka Honey. This week, she says, Gwen talked about a popular natural remedy that's been used for thousands of years, Manuka Honey. Manuka Honey is a special type of honey that specifically comes from bees pollinating the Manuka bush. The nutrient profile of Manuka Honey can be up to four times that of traditional honey. Manuka honey is used both topically and orally to aid healing for wounds, hot spots, or areas of mild skin irritation, boost the immune system, promote oral health, improve digestive symptoms, soothe sore throats, and relieve coughing. There are different grades of Manuka honey. If you want a more medicinal grade honey, look for the unique Manuka factor, and this is capital U, capital M, capital F, unique Manuka factor. In order for a Manuka honey to carry the UMF mark, it must have been independent laboratory testing proving levels of 
MGO with it, which is methylglyoxal and leptospherin present. The UMF mark also, also authenticates it is a genuine product of New Zealand. The UMF ratings are anywhere from five plus to 28 plus. However, anything ranging from UMF 10 minus UMF 15 plus is a useful level for most applications. And she says, Dr. Judy says, we use UMF 15 plus ramen honey, but you can find other brands at most stores. Just be sure to check for the UMF mark and that it is a raw, unpasteurized manuka honey. Oral administration of manuka honey is not recommended for cats, diabetic animals, or animals younger than one year of age. And that's interesting because I remembered, it caused me to remember back when I was living in Mexico, and there was a woman whose horse had really bang, banged up a front leg. And it was a, it was a really badly um, bloody scraped wound on the leg. And she was applying honey. And I thought, is she crazy? <laughs> Maybe she wasn't so crazy, right? Maybe she wasn't. Maybe she wasn't so crazy. Be darn. Do you know much about this Manuka honey or is this something new no, to you? This is something that's new to me. Although I, as I say, I've heard of honey before, mm -hmm. but this was a first from the standpoint of it's not just going to the store and picking up a jar of honey on the shelf. This is Manuka honey has specific, specific qualities. Extra and, special honey. Yeah, for sure. But she seems to suggest that it's readily available. I would imagine your best bet is to order it online so that you can specify exactly those recommendations for that, that and, UMF 15. Right. And I, this made it onto Judy's Friday five. So we know it's gotta be beneficial. Yes. Yeah. No, I trust her. Yeah. Yeah. And that was just from July 16th. So if you want to check, you can go there yourself. Okay. Living with your dog, living with your dog, living with your dog with Charlotte. All right, this is from Susan Fixton, a new pricey marketing spin from Mars Pet Care. Oh boy. Plant, this is a quote, plant first, end quote, pet foods costs per customer a lot more money. This is going to cost you more money to buy plant first as compared to meat first foods, okay? Okay, so she says, in a recent post from PetFoodProcessing.com, a new pet food brand was announced from Mars Pet Care. And quote, Mars Pet Care on June 29 introduced the latest additions to its dog food portfolio. Karma, trademark, that's capital K, oh, these are all capitals, K-A-R-M-A, -A, trademark. Plant first formulas. While both formulas include traditional pet food proteins, including white fish and chicken, both whole grain sorghum and brewer's rice appear before the animal-based proteins on the product labels, end of quote. The pet food label even includes the marketing pitch of Plant First. Plant First is described by PetFoodProcessing.com as the formulas are designed to primarily incorporate whole grains and plant, plant paste ingredients combined with lean animal proteins and healthy fats to create a nutritionally balanced and environmentally conscious diet for dogs, end quote. Mm -hmm. It's like, really? Mm -hmm. She goes on, is this dog food really different? Mars is advertising the Karma Plant First dog food as being unique, something different for pet owners who want to provide their pets with more plant-based nutrition. However, simply put, 
plant first simply means ingredients are rearranged, <laughs> listing grains before animal protein ingredients. Pet food regulations require pet food ingredients to be listed on labels by pre-cooking weight, heaviest to lightest. But pet owners are forced to trust ingredient listings are accurate because regulatory authorities do not validate pet food recipes to assure ingredient weights as they are listed on the labels. In fact, some manufacturers have refused to disclose this information even to FDA. Wow. From documents raised, released by FDA regarding Beneful, which really makes me crazy, hmm. Beneful dog food, we know that after receiving numerous consumer complaints regarding Beneful, the FDA performed inspections at multiple Purina pet food plants. Quoting the FDA report, Per a refusal from Nestle Purina corporate headquarters, the manufacturing facility was unable to provide the actual content or weights of individual ingredients that in went to each batch of the implicated lots associated with previously reported consumer complaints. Don't you just love it? And people buy this benefit all the time. She goes on to say, we can safely assume that other manufacturers refuse to provide FDA the weights of individual ingredients too validating the ingredient list. The listed ingredients of Karma Plant First Recipe with Chicken. The first eight ingredients, all ingredients listed before flavor additive of the Karma Plant First Recipe with Chicken are whole grain, sorghum, brewer's rice, chicken meal, chicken fat preserved with their coveralls, chicken, dehydrated alpha meal, split peas, whole flaxseed. The cost for a four pound bag of this kibble is $19.99. That's $5 per pound. My goodness gracious. Plant first, $5 per pound. Another Mars pet care brand, Neutral Natural Choice Adult Chicken and Brown Rice recipe has very similar first aid ingredients. And she's got underlined ingredients match the Karma Plant First dog food and that's almost everything listed so these are this is in the nutra natural choice adult chicken and, and brown rice chicken brewer's rice chicken meal the same as in the other whole grain brown rice whole grain barley whole grain sorghum chicken fat preserved with mixed coveralls rice bran do, do you realize how many times we're seeing grains included here five of the first eight ingredients in both dog foods are identical but the cost for the Nutra dog food, a non-plant first pet food is significantly less, $2.58 per pound. <laughs> so the first ingredient is real chicken at $2.58 per pound. So what does plant first cost pet owners? Almost double. And it's like, really, are people going to buy that? There are people going to buy it. Yes. They're trying to save the planet. Yes. And that's not the way to save the planet. No. And and charge and, and the and the gall of charging twice as almost twice as much, almost double the cost for the plant-based food. Well, it's more expensive, so it must be better. Of course. Of course. How how could I have forgotten it? <laughs> but I mean, isn't that phenomenal? It's crazy. Yeah, it, it really is. It, I mean, it really is. That First off. Plant-based for dogs, right? And and it's you know five of the top eight ingredients were <laughs> were all plants. And they're, they're, they're plants. 
it's, it's like, you know, how many people have ever seen a dog go graze in a cornfield? I don't <laughs> think so. <laughs> it's just, I mean, it really, it's just, I mean, and they, they're doing this because it's going to work. It's going making, to work. It's going to work. And they're making twice as much money on something that has to cost them half as much. And which and is already, Mars. and which is already crap already to start with. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, it's a terrible product already. And yeah. they're going to just put a different name on it that, you know, it, it's, it's a, it's a plug word right now. Right. It, it, dogs don't even need to eat like that. They shouldn't eat like that. They shouldn't eat like that. That's the truth. And while we're talking in terms of, we do wish to take care of our planet. The fact is that feedlot cattle and animals are a, a horror. They're a nightmare. They're yeah. not healthy. They're not good for us. They're not good for the planet. That doesn't mean that animal food is not good for your animal. It means that, yes, you better be careful. So one of the ways in which we can more economically approach level is consider getting organic, range-free fed chicken eggs. That's a, a reasonable step in the right direction. And if you if you live anywhere, like I, from what I understand, Redwood Meat Company up in Eureka has a lot of different foods available. And that's locally raised animals. I think it's all beef. The best I understand, it's all locally raised, meaning this is not feedlot stuff. And it's available to investigate that you can get bones and you can get other organs meats there at good prices. So there are ways we can do it and not have our, our budgets just torn to shreds. So dogs need those bones, raw bones, and dogs need those organ meats. Absolutely. You cannot be feeding a raw diet, just putting a hunk of hamburger in the bowl. That's not the way it is. That's enough to make any veterinarian crazy. Yeah. Would that be better than kibble though? No. No, no, because, it be. no, because it, it's totally unbalanced, totally unbalanced. At least kibble is going to have calcium and phosphorus in there and it's going to have other things that, you know, that are not desirable. But as my friend my, Kitty, my vet friend said, she'd rather see them feeding Purina dog chow than just putting a hunk of meat in the bowl. Right. And she feeds raw. She feeds a raw diet to her dogs. Now, because of her work schedule and she works at, at different veterinarian clinics, some of which take her a couple of hours to get to, and she's even gone for a couple of days a week with her dog with her. She buys pre-made frozen raw food because it's she can't just doesn't have the time. Now she does find the time to go, I think it takes her an hour or more to go to a place that's rather locally available to get chicken backs for him to have um, something that's really fresh and raw. But otherwise, she buys prepackaged formula, correct, raw diet because of her, her work schedule demands and the travel time that she spends. So, you know, if she gets in at eight o'clock at night from being gone since 530 in the morning, she's not about to start preparing a big fancy meal. Right. So for herself, let alone for the dog. Yeah, I think that one of the things one has to be careful of is if you're paying a premium price for fresh refrigerated or frozen food, you don't want to be finding 
carbohydrates in there. You don't want to be finding grains. You may find some peas and depends on how far down the label that is that they're in there. Uh, okay, I can go along with that to a certain extent. I'd rather not, but but just be sure that you read the label because they can just fool you into saying, here's this high quality, wonderful stuff. It's fresh, it's raw, whatever. Read the label. Uh, that's a good point. Still read the label if the packaging looks better than the uh, dry well, dog feed. Yes, and besides which with the packaging, there are no controls. Beneful, which was mentioned before and which really makes me crazy. You look at the package and it's got carrots and green beans on it and they look wonderful. And if you pick up the package and you read it, I think that carrots show up at ingredient 18. That's not bad. That's not too bad. No, not too bad. (laughs) And they're dehydrated. They're not fresh. Even at at, at ingredient number 18, they're not even fresh. That's not good. That's not good. No. Hey, I know how I can get, because dogs, I mean, they need that stuff, the carrots, and they need a little bit of vegetables, as we've explained before. Uh, you puree yours and I think add it to the I, dog. Well, I, because it's inconvenient for me to have my word proce- food processor in this little trailer, I've been lightly steaming them, which breaks down the cellulose enough to make them digestible. Hmm. But yes, I do prepare. In fact, I just did the day before yesterday. I prepared. It took me a couple of hours. I have a couple of months supply of uh, vegetables that I put into sandwich bags so that I have a supply in each bag that will be like for three dinners. And uh, do dogs need those things? Probably not, but there are vitamins and minerals in there that are worth consideration. And does it uh, help to reduce the cost overall? I think so. I think so. Hmm. Uh, But I don't think there's a, a definite need. I believe that it is to my dog's benefit to have those vitamins and minerals. And it is routinely recommended to have some fiber. So if that base is covered um, and, and I, and, and she, she gobbles them up. There's no question about it. When I first got her, she didn't have any idea what raw meat was. <laughs> and whenever people are first starting to switch to raw, they say, well, my dog won't eat those vegetables. Well, of course not what you do is you're going to be starting off with ground meat, ground turkey, ground chicken, ground pork, and you're going to mix in a little bit of finely pureed vegetables and fruits so that they can't pick them out. Now, I just put in about, I don't know, a quarter to a third of a cup of vegetable and fruit mixture in her bowl and the meat, and I use, but I always put yogurt in there and it all goes, it's all gone. She will pick up, like last night was a hunk of pork which she picked up right away. First thing she did was eat that, that hunk of pork. Everything else was cleaned up in the bowl. No question about <laughs> it. So it took her a while, but now, yes, she, she likes all that stuff. Yeah, she really does. So, yeah. All right. How about Patricia Bicotto? And this is uh, just this past week or so. She says, I'm taking some summary time off this week. And so I'm repeating a post from May 2014, how to talk to, dog, to other dog owners. Want to talk about it? Here it is. When I was seeing a lot of clients, she said, I could always tell when I was tired because I started working with the dog rather than training the owners. Perhaps perhaps that's the irony of language. It makes communication easier in one sense and harder in another. Things are so simple and clear when I was working with someone else's dog. Trying to influence the behavior of the people felt much more complicated. 
It's not that I didn't enjoy it. I love people. They are one of my two favorite species. It's just that it was harder to work with them than the dogs. <laughs> it's no surprise that talking to someone you've never met about their dog's behavior is especially fraught, whether it's at the dog park in the neighborhood or at a dog class. We've all struggled with what to say to the person whose dog is terrifying ours or whose dog really doesn't want you to pet him, even though the owner is begging you to do so. <laughs> I thought this issue was worth a discussion, given how often it comes up in the comment section. I'll add to my own thoughts, but very much look forward to hearing what you have to say. And incidentally, that's something about Patricia McConnell. She does, with her blog, mention that she wants to hear from you. Okay, so she says, I'm hoping for a benevolent interchange of constructive ideas about how to influence the behavior of others when one feels the need. I want to avoid piling on about how stupid other people can be. The foolishness of others may be rampant <laughs> in some context, but just whining about it never seems to help. Here are some of my thoughts in hopes of initiating a constructive conversation. And it is true that trainers will frequently amongst ourselves say the dogs are easy, the people not so much. <laughs> Okay, so she goes on to say, work the dog, not the person. First off, do you need to intervene immediately because you think your dog is at risk? If so, I strongly advise forgetting about trying to influence the behavior of the other owner. Saying call your dog or get him away presumes that the other person, one, believes that action is immediately necessary, two, has the ability to act instantly, and three, has mm -hmm. the kind of control over their dog that the action requires. Good luck with that. <laughs> I found it much more useful to ignore the owner and work with the dog, whether it's a body block or tossing a handful of treats or turning and moving away to distract the dogs from a tense encounter. Yes, it's polite to ask if you can give someone else's dog a treat. But if an 80-pound Chessie is running full bore at my dog, ears bend and hackles up, I'm throwing a handful of treats in its face and asking questions later. Hmm. Of course, none of this is relevant if the dog is actually attacking your own. And then there was a link for discussion about handling such a serious dog fight. People are animals too. Remember the value of positive reinforcement? I'm often amazed at how quickly people forget to use positive reinforcement as soon as they turn away from their dog and start talking with a member of their own species. If the situation is not an emergency and doesn't require immediate action, I always say something positive when I first meet someone's dog, even if it's Harvey has the most beautiful tail. <laughs> if you want to say something to someone else about their dog's behavior, you darn well better start with something good. The exception, of course, is when an immediate intervention is necessary, as mentioned already. I learned early on how defensive people can be about their dogs, sometimes even more so about than about their children. Yeah. I had clients quit a class once because the trainer said something about the breed's typical behavior. It wasn't meant to be a negative comment, just a brief mention about the breed being mouthy because they were bred to retrieve. That was enough to send the owners out of the door in a huff. <laughs> that might be a bit extreme, but let's face it, whether we should or shouldn't, it's natural to see our dogs as extensions of ourselves and criticisms of our dogs are never welcome. Yeah. We can criticize our own dogs, but somebody else's not so much. That's why if someone's dog is playing in an inappropriate and rude manner, I'm going to say, wow, Chester's so full of energy, isn't he? I'll bet he wears you out by the end of the day. I might go on and describe my own dog as sensitive and easily frightened and explain that it's nothing against their dog, but I need to end the play session. Have I educated them about appropriate play behavior? No. 
Was this a good context in which she tried to do so? No, it was my job to protect my dog and keep everything and everybody on an even keel, which leads to my next point. What's the goal? Ask yourself, why do you want to influence the other person's behavior? If you want to protect your own dog, do so. Putting the owner, other owner on defense won't help anything and it might make things worse. Are you concerned about their dog? Perhaps their dog didn't sit when asked and made jerk hard on the leash and screamed at it. Ouch, these situations are so painful to all of us, but you can't go up to a stranger and tell them they are abusing their dog. Sometimes you just have to walk away, painful as it is. Other times I've had some success by walking over treats in pocket, always treats in pockets, heaven help me, and <laughs> commenting on what a lovely, handsome dog they have. What breed is it? I might ask. I may well know perfectly, but it doesn't matter. The goal is to start a conversation. Or I might say, lying through my teeth. Yep, you heard it before. Oh, I used to have a St. Bernard Poodle Yorkie cross myself. That was the best dog. <laughs> Can I give Rambo a treat? And then Rambo and I have a little interchange and I walk away and leave it at that. Maybe the owner learned something about how quickly Rambo paid attention and did what I asked when, when they didn't. But either way, I did not take it upon myself to be the dog police and tell someone how to handle their dog. It's hard sometimes, but it's not our dog. It's not our job to train other people's dogs or raise their children. Unless that sounds harsh, let me be clear that I'm all in favor of helping people who want help role modeling good behavior, educating people who want to learn, and being there for a dog who might need some clarification about what is expected. That said, we'll all be most effective if we remember that one, advice from, st from strangers often feels like criticism. Two, sometimes it's easier to communicate directly with a dog. Mm -hmm. And three, positive reinforcement usually works best. Here's my last piece of advice before I pass the baton on to you to hear your best ideas about how to diffuse a conflict with another dog owner. Picture me, a client and a, do a client's dog out walking in a neighborhood. Be aware that the dog is frightened of unfamiliar people and we are about to do some counter conditioning. The challenge in this process is that so many strangers want to walk up and overwhelm the dog rather than toss treats from a distance. Here's what I learned to say as someone begins to swoop in to loom over the cowering Sheltie, Mini Pooh, Border Collie, or Mastiff. Oh, thank heavens, I say as I move between the person and the dog. I can tell that you are an experienced dog person. That's just great because this dog is afraid of strangers and needs someone who understands the importance of staying back and tossing treats rather than going toward the dog and scaring her. So many people don't understand that, except people who have lots of dog savvy like you. Would you mind helping us for just a moment and tossing some streets on the ground for Maggie? I learned to say this after hearing many hundreds of times. Oh, dogs just love me, mostly women. And I'm not afraid of dogs. Both of these comments were always made as a person bent forward, hands outstretched, face moving laser-like towards a clawing dog in, in response to my request to toss streets. You've got to love training no matter the species, right? What's your story? <laughs> We'd all love to hear comments about your more successful or unsuccessful intervention. So that's our wonderful Patricia McConnell. I mean, <laughs> you know, she's and she said she's she, she was taking some time off. And so that was a repeat from back in 2014. But it very definitely well worth repeating for sure. And it happens to any of any of us that have dogs. You know, it's it's true. And of course, for Angie. She is going to growl, which could certainly get somebody's attention, but I don't want her doing that. 
So I'll just, if I'm out walking, which I'm not here because I'm way out in the country, but when I was you know, closer to habitation, um, I would just step in, in front of her and put that, that little problem to rest. So, all right. <laughs> so I can, uh, we, and we do talk about this a lot. And I do ask you about this quite often, you know, when you're talking about what you saw in the park and somebody was, you know, pulling on a collar or something like that. And I will ask you, did you say anything to them? And you're right. And Patricia McConnell is right. Uh, often we think we're helping, but the person we're trying to help thinks that we're criticizing. That's right. And that doesn't help anything like a dog who is over threshold. They are not going to learn anything. If you have, if they're in a negative frame of mind. Exactly. Exactly. And people don't welcome criticism. Even if you think you're being offering helpful advice, it's being received as criticism. Especially when they've been working so well, they think they've been working so hard on training their dog. In fact, I see it as, as similar. And as Patricia McConnell said, equating the dogs to children, I mean, I've, you know, don't tell me how to raise my kids. Right. Yeah. And it's the same for dogs. Don't tell me how to train my dog. And keep in mind that your veterinarian is not the best place to go about canine behavior issues. They don't study behavior in vet school. They don't study nutrition and they don't study behavior. And it's, 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 it's a really important note to make. Uh, veterinary behaviorists from what I understand, are veterinarians that do four more years of training after four years of vet school to become veterinary behaviorists. You're going to pay very dearly for help from them, and there aren't a lot of them around. I'm a certified canine behavior consultant, and the certification is with the International Association of Animal Behavior Consultants. And this association has a dog group, cat group, horse group, parrot group, and a rescue dog group. And these people, you don't just get your certification by paying dues. They'll happily take your money. I think that, I think that in my retired status, I think it's like $90 a year that I keep up my membership. Uh, they'll be happy to take your money, but that does not give you certification. There are page-long re uh, requirements made in order to be certified, you can. I think you start off as um, an associate, where you're working on getting all of the the certification requirements completed. But it's definitely um, a huge step in the right direction. There are a couple of of national groups that provide people with true behavior training experience and credentials to help people with their their dogs in. And um, if you, I think if you check with Pat Miller, for example, you can find out more about those different organizations. But yes, there's a big difference. I'm not a veterinarian, but the average veterinarian is not a behavior consultant person. And that is why we do this show to yes, help people out go. with the behavior issues. There you go. And this is this is a you know a animal canine behavior consulting. Uh, um, playground that we're on but of course <laughs> we're dealing with a lot of other things because for example nutrition plays a, a, an incredibly important part in behavior for real you know, at, at, when you're talking in terms of kibble fed kibble is high in sugar 
You can get sugar highs in dogs. You can get them reacting to that high quantity of sugar. So nutrition plays a huge role, both towards good health and towards poor health. And good health is important to good behavior. So, yeah. <laughs> and again, that's why we do the show living with your dog to help out the dog and the human. <laughs> and we have reached the end of our time today. And we have, again, some more homework given to us from Charlotte. Let's see. Starting off, we talked about food in training your dog and use the use of food in training your dog from an article from the whole dog journal by Kathy Callahan. And we address some issues like is using food for training bribing? No, it is not bribing. How did you explain that Charlotte? Bribing is something you offer to get the animal to do it. If you think back to days of old when you had a, a $20 bill on, with your license and you, the police officer stopped you because you were speeding and you handed over the $20 bill and the license. If you were lucky, he didn't now set you up to have been bribing him. He may have taken it and wished you a good day. You would have bribed him to not give you a ticket. It's before the action takes place. Well, we just learned something very interesting about Charlotte. <laughs> I wonder I how long it's been since she's got a ticket. Never. Mm. Well, yes, actually, I did get one once. I did. I, I did. And the twenty. <laughs> so the twenty dollar bribe didn't work. <laughs> no, and, and, and it was really pretty funny because I was visiting the United States from from um, Mexico, and I was going like sixty five in a fifty mile fifty five mile an hour zone, and I was oh, stopped wow. and given a ticket. And I couldn't, I couldn't pay it because I had to go someplace that I couldn't get to during my stay in, in the United States. And I was so worried that they were going to try and find me, but I never <laughs> heard any more from them. So California got skipped out of some money. Oh, boy. All right. Anyways, yes, it is a good thing to use treats while you're training your dog. The food is a motivational tool. The food is producing good feelings inside your dog toward us and towards the training. That's right. So yes. that's why it's one of the good things. And be mindful. You want to, oh, the hierarchy of foods. The hierarchy of, of treats is very important for you want to have maybe three treats, ones that are your dog really likes, ones that your dog kind of likes, and one that your dog just likes and will will eat. Next from Dr. Judy's Friday Five. Manuka honey. It is four times better than regular honey. You can use it as a topical or as an oral. Topical help can help with skin irritations. Oral can help with digestive health. You want to make sure that it comes from New Zealand. You want to make sure that it has a unique Manuka factor of 10 or above. And then from Susan Thixton. Oh, man. From Susan Thixton. A new, a new tactic from Mars. They put plant first on a on their label and charge twice as much, even though it's the same darn dog crap feed that's in another one of their brands. So it's with, with less animal protein, and you're paying twice as much. It's ridiculous. <laughs> and then, last but not least, from Patricia McConnell, how to talk to other dog owners? Yes. Carefully, if at all. <laughs> Carefully. And, and it kind of goes back to Kathy Callahan's uh, article, Sticks or Carrots? Yeah. Uh -huh. Use, use uh -huh. carrots. Use carrots. There you go. And yeah. I also wrote down, lead by example. Don't talk to the owner about what they're doing wrong or right. Just uh, address the dog. 
Right. Yeah. Rather than a human. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Makes a lot of difference. Okay. All right, Charlotte, before we head out, do you have any last words for us? Yes. The dog is a gentleman. I hope to go to his heaven, not man's, said Mark Twain. <laughs> that is a good one. Good old Mark Twain. Oh, <laughs> he was a jewel of things to say that were worth saying. Dog heaven. <laughs> All right. Living with your dog, living with your dog, living with your dog with Charlotte. Isn't that cool?